Listener supported. WNYC Studios. At launch, a lot of these podcasts are throwing everything at the wall, and we did that with our most recent podcasts at launch, and we got a lot of great numbers, but we don't really know what worked, honestly, because we had too many things happening at the same time at launch. There are lots and lots of podcasts out there, so how do you make sure that yours gets the attention it deserves? I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. In this episode, four marketing experts explain what materials you need to raise your project's profile and how you can figure out which marketing tools work for you and which ones don't. This presentation was part of I Know How to Do That, a series of hands-on workshops led by leading hosts and producers where they share tips, stories, and knowledge about all aspects of podcasting. Hello and welcome. You are at Six Things to Know About Podcast Marketing, and we are so excited to be here. My name is Ashley Lusk, and I'm the Director of Audience Development for WNYC and WNYC Studios, and I'm also a co-editor at the Bellow Collective, an independent publication about podcasting. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about podcast marketing, and we have taken a perspective of the indie podcast producer who may not have a ton of resources at their disposal, but we want to set the stage for what anyone can do if you are just starting to market your podcast. So I'm going to turn it over to my, panel, my fellow panelists to present themselves. Hi everybody, I'm Nicole Bunsis. I am the Senior Marketing Manager at Pinna, which is a children's audio company, and formerly I was a senior marketing manager at Panably Media. I'm Kat Brewer. I am the coordinating producer at WBUR, which is the uh, public radio station in Boston. And I'm Jen Hahn, a senior marketing manager at Gimlet. Um, so I think we first want to set the stage by talking a little bit about the realities of what you're up against when you launch a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And while all of us work potentially at big networks, we're here to provide resources and guidance to you that's hopefully, hopefully very actionable. But you know, we first want to start by acknowledging that starting a podcast is a really, really hard work. So uh, Chartable is a company that tracks podcasts in real time. And I asked them, so since podcast movement, you know, when you launched, how many podcasts have launched since then? 40 thousand. And on a daily basis, that's 400 podcasts. That's like everybody here plus that room launching a podcast today and then tomorrow and then the next day. So the competition is incredibly fierce, but we have hopefully laid out six tools that will really help you stand out and really bring the fundamentals to life. And I say all this because to pair all of that, you really need a good amount of grit and hustle and just ready to put in the hard work to launch. But we're excited. We're excited about how much the industry is growing and a testament to its staying power. And um, we're happy to be here. So on to step one. <laughs> Step one, make good content. So this may seem super obvious, but I think that a question that we hope you're asking as you're developing your idea for a podcast or your idea for a show is, 
is audio the right medium for telling this story? And I think as you're developing this idea, make sure that it's a unique concept. And if it's not a unique concept, that you at least understand the competitive landscape that you're entering. Who are your peers in this space? Um, really beginning to identify where your podcast would sit in this growing industry. The first thing I would recommend if you have a show that's really at the conceptual stage, and I think that uh, Reka Murthy offered some of these great tips in her earlier session if you heard that, which is to take that concept or maybe even just build out an initial concept and start to workshop it. Ask people what they like about it. Ask what they expected to hear uh, but didn't. Um, what would they change? What do they, they hope to hear in the next iteration? I think getting that early feedback helps you understand if you have picked the right moment, the right place to produce this story. And hopefully it's a unique story. So one of the things we do at WNYC is with every brand new show that's created, uh, we ask the producers or the creators to develop a creative brief. And here I've listed a few of the questions that are included in our creative brief, and I'll, I'll link out to that as well so that you can see the full creative brief that we use in developing shows. And this Creative Brief is shared with the cross-functional team of people who are really looking at it from different angles. You have, of course, your show producers or your hosts who are really thinking about the concept of the show, but we also share this with our marketing, with our digital, with our fundraising, with our advertising teams, so that as the show is being developed conceptually, we're all thinking about how to build the extensions of that show, to go find the audiences for that show, uh, how we want to find potential sponsors for that show. And sometimes we push back. Um, in some of the more recent shows that we've developed, we all take a listen and we talk about what it sounds like to us. And then we watch our, our visual, uh, our graphic design friends really try to visualize what the show looks like to us. And I think taking those steps of really starting to understand what your show is for yourself, but how other people are taking in and internalizing your show will help you develop a better um, conceptual understanding of how to market that show later. So your creative brief is really the foundational element for how you will talk about your show and, and how you iterate on your show as it's in development. So building off of that creative brief is the brand that you create. So every time that you launch a show, you put a little piece of yourself out there, that's your brand, whether that's your personal brand because you're the host or an idea that you create that then is articulated into a, a show over time. So I come before podcasting from advertising. So I would work with brands on launching you know, their identity and defining it. So there are a lot of terms I'm gonna use that hopefully will translate into creating a brand in this space. And so building off of a creative brief, you have to remember that first thing is that your brand is the impression that the outside world has of you. It's how they understand you and how you come across. So when I say brand, I'm talking about your show as a brand. I'm gonna to speak to it in that term. So building off of what Ashley was speaking to in the creative brief, your show in one sentence becomes your tagline. And I think we're used to hearing you know, a lot of ad taglines from advertising campaigns, but to put it in the perspective of podcasts, Empire on Blood, which is a show that launched with the great Mia LaBelle, um, became a story of murder, betrayal, and a man who fought the law for two decades. So in that one short sentence, you understand it's a true crime podcast, there's an investigative component, there's something related to criminal justice. It all comes across in that one sentence captured in a tagline. 
And then what makes your show special, which is also a question in the creative brief, is your promo copy. And I cannot stress enough how important it is that this copy then, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, becomes consistent throughout all of your communication. So all the bullet points you want to hit, using that consistent language makes you it makes it a lot easier for your audience to connect to certain words with you. And then if you were to have the people that look at your show and maybe when if you were to workshop it, they would be repeating those words back to you the way that you want to come across. And then the tone of your show is the feeling that you create for listeners. So you have a very specific um, brand that you want to put out there. And so as an example, Bad With Money is a comedy podcast about money woes. So you know that it's, you'll laugh, you'll cry. Like those specific beats will be hit in every point of the show. And that's the feeling that you create, comedy about finances. And then translating your oral identity into your visual identity is a really big key component. So how your show looks is just as important as how your show sounds and will make it attractive for people because a lot of times they'll see it before they even hear anything about it. They'll see your show artwork before they even hear your trailer. Um, and that's an important thing and something that we talk about in the branding world, and the advertising world as your look tone and feel. So how you look visually, how you sound, and the tone that you come across, and just the overall feeling that you create. So building on that, translating your brand is really important. So when you build those that consistent set of keywords, this is an example from a WNYC show, Death, Sex, and Money. So you want to make yourself discoverable because, and there will be a, a, some resources in the, in the takeaway that help you um, with SEO and search engine optimization so that you know you can be found on the web. But the important thing to take away here is using that consistent set of terms and tags in all your communications. So when you're building a site, it, should you choose to do that with you know a Squarespace or one of your favorite podcast sponsors, um, then you'll also want to use those same words throughout as you're building your site in your social copy and just to create that consistent brand for yourself. And then the biggest thing related to design that a lot of people, it's pretty obvious, but I think if you were to see a lot of, a lot of designs, you maybe wouldn't get this as a takeaway. The most common placement is a phone screen. That's a one by one inch real estate that exists, you know, most commonly in that spot. That show tile has, you know, a certain intricacy that it, it can have, but for the most part, like, that's, that's the way that people will see your brand. And it's hard, to, you know, to create designs. It's hard a lot of times to translate something that's really audio into a visual space, but it's really important. It's something not to skimp on. So you kind of see from this example from this podcast has fleas. This is a show about pets. It's fun. It's lighthearted. And it comes across really great in this very, very small space. And then the biggest thing is to create complementary materials. So, um, rather than just one piece of artwork tr translated into five different sizes to work across you know, Twitter or Facebook, it's really great to be able to extend the artwork, which we'll show you um, a little bit more on the next slide. So an example of that is um, Kristen Meinzer of By the Book um, has a really great strong brand, strong following. And so after a show that's been around for a couple seasons, you know, wanting to be able to refresh the art and create something that's really 
fun and useful for the medium. So specifically, this GIF, hopefully you can catch a little bit of movement, was around this most recent season that launched that was specific to social channels. So because we know that GIFs translate really well on Twitter or Instagram, we created this set of GIFs for the season. Um, and the biggest thing is then it's useful to fans. It's fun for them to use and see and interact with, and it's ultimately shareable. And the second example is something for Pinterest. So rather than repurposing just the same visual, we created a top 10 list to help you know build an idea and the identity of what this brand would create for you. So what Buy the Book creates for you is being able to stick with self-help and creating um, an environment where you can kind of follow along with the hosts, Kristen and Jalenta. So that's specific to a channel. And yes, it is extra resources and it's hard to find people um, to design, but a great resource that felt right for this audience that we've been using for some of our shows in Pinna is Women Who Draw. And it's, a, you know, a illustrators that charge everything from like $40 an hour to much more and that you can find that would fit your show's needs and help you build that identity. Yes, please support other women uh, <laughs> artists. And one thing I'll just step in to add here before we move along is these processes are not happening when the podcast is complete. They are happening as the podcast is in development. So while many of you are both the creators and probably the marketers of your show, uh, really thinking about how you are building, again, that foundational element of, mark of how you will eventually market your show as you're developing the concept will be really important. Um, at WNYC, at least, we begin our marketing efforts for brand new shows somewhere at like eight weeks before launch because we really are trying to think about all of these elements and take into account um, what we're hearing conceptually uh, from the show. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, for for us at Pino, we're planning on starting to work on marketing efforts at the piloting stage of a show. So once we know exactly what the show is going to sound like and what its brand will be from a um, oral perspective, we're going to start creating all the visuals and the copy and that consistent language that's going to live on with the show um, at launch and, and onward. So you have your brand, you have your good content, and now you need to figure out who exactly this podcast is for. Uh, who this is for is a somewhat obvious question, but I think a lot of people uh, don't necessarily ask it early enough in the process. Um, podcasts specifically can be so personal to people that it's their baby that they don't think about the other people that are listening besides their mom and friends and family. <laughs> um, so you want to be specific. You want to think about gender and age and geography, income, marital status. Um, at WBUR, um, we produce Modern Love uh, with the New York Times, and that is a podcast that is predominantly young, single women and in their 20s and 30s. Um, but then we produced, uh, for the season, the last season of the New England Patriots, a daily sports podcast. So their uh, geography, both New England geography and if you're an expat of New England living elsewhere, became important. Um, and the and it was much more focused on men. And the audience of Modern Love and the audience of Season Ticket, our sports podcast, could not be farther apart. So you're going to find those audiences in different places, and you can't market the same way you market to the Modern Love audience as you market to the season ticket audience. So you really need to know who's listening to your show, who you want to listen to your show. Um, you also want to know what else they 
are in, what else they listen to, what else they watch, their TV shows, their music they listen to. Um, we did a small Facebook campaign for an episode of a podcast around um, Mrs. Pat, the comedian, and we targeted on Facebook people who loved other female comedians, and it was one of our most successful um, pod, uh, Facebook uh, ad campaigns, because if you're interested in female comedians, you're very interested in female comedians. So not just passive interest, but really passionate interest. Um, and once you know more about who your audience is, you're also able to engage with them on social media. You're able to create content that they um, are excited about and they will share. It's also important to be honest about who your audience is and how big the audience is. Ashley and I were at a conference recently in a, and another presenter said something about how a woman was creating a podcast for the parents of children with a very rare disease. That's not gonna be a huge podcast, but that's something that's clearly very important to that group. If your p passion is Irish poetry, that's not gonna be a big audience, but if you do it well and you work hard, like it's gonna be good to content and you're gonna get noticed, but it might not be 100,000 downloads. Um, and then it's important to make yourself discoverable. Um, beyond finish, finding your audience, let your audience find you. So have your social media, um, your website, and also um, think about the way, this is a mixed metaphor, but casting a wide net, but also having favorite children. Um, so you wanna, <laughs> so you wanna have, um, you know, be available and discoverable as many places as possible with a caveat, like don't create a Twitter account and then never update it because a, a dormant Twitter account is probably worse than no Twitter account at all. Um, but, um, but then if you know that you're, targeting people, if you're crafting podcasts and you're targeting people on Pinterest, like that's your favorite child and you want to invest more in that. Um, the example last seen that we just launched this fall, which is a podcast into the um, largest unsolved art heist in history, the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum art heist, um, we knew that we have a private Facebook group and we have Instagram because it's a very visual podcast that we're investing more in, but we still have a Twitter account, we still have a website, we have all those things that people can still find us. Um, so for pinpointing our audience for Last Scene, we did three main groups. Um, one is the true crime podcast audience, which is gold. <laughs> you, can't get any, you can't get a group of people more dedicated to podcasts than the true crime podcast audience. So we um, did some cross promos with some true crime podcasts like Gone, but we also targeted uh, young women because young women um, are interested in the story, but then they're also um, interested in true crime podcasts as well. And we happened to produce both Dear Sugars and Modern Love, and we're able to target the predominantly female audiences in both those podcasts by doing drops. And um, we'll talk more about that later. And then also the Boston, the local Boston audience. So we had a viral marketing campaign where we put up um, these beautiful murals. Um, that one right there is at the Sam, Sam Adams Brewery, which happened to be one of our sponsors. And Isabella Stewart Gardner loved beer. <laughs> um, and so these are like the three different, and there's some overlap as my beautiful 
probably mathematically incorrect Venn diagram shows you. Um, but you know, a lot of people who listen to God don't listen to Dear Sugars, but there is some overlap, and we hope that this podcast can appeal to all those audiences. Um, we also did things for true crime audiences that are not in the public radio, that didn't feel very public radio, even though we're a public radio station. We did a, um, a, a video trailer that sort of had Dateline-esque music and the man with the deep voice and all of that and promoted it on social um, to get people that maybe weren't coming through the public radio gates that we're used to. Um, and then... The, no, and the number one thing I would say um, is that, you know, reach out, knowing your competition is important too. So, and I say competition in quotes because um, as a, several people have said at this conference already, it's important to realize that the best way to find a podcast audience is to go through people who are already podcast fans. So um, we were able to harness uh, partnerships with lots of podcasts and uh, find the audience through our competition, which was excellent. So number four on our list is build a press kit. And I think there can be high and low fidelity versions of this, but I recommend building a press kit if for no other reason than a, an extended exercise of really figuring out what your show is and how it fits in the environment. And I'm going to show one of these examples. It's actually from the show called The Competition. It's probably one of the best press kits I've personally seen, and this would be a high fidelity version. Um, in my work with the Bellow Collective, we invite people to send us their podcast. We share them with our writers, and they maybe review them, or they offer some insight into um, why someone might listen to that podcast. And so we receive a number of uh, podcast press kits that range from a really simple email or a static web page or a one-page PDF that just say, this is my show, this is the host, here's where to find it, here's why I think you'll like it, to the extended versions that you're going to see here. So I'm just going to step away for a second. So some of you may be familiar with the show The Competition. Um, I'm not going to tell you too much about the show. I'm going to let you discover for yourself, based on our quick roll through of the uh, press kit, what the show is about. So here, a short description of what the show is, and then because they're now in their second season, and it can be really tough to get attention around second seasons unless there's something new or remarkable about that season, they lay out a... Uh, Essentially, they lay out the, re the rationale for why we should be paying attention to the second season. They tell us here a little bit about the team of people who work on the show. For me, as both an editor uh, for the Bellow Collective, I'm looking to see if there's anyone that I know here. Um, is there someone I want to connect with? Maybe someone that I want to interview uh, about the podcast. This, I would say, is a super nice to have, but definitely not required. They've provided us with all of the contact information, the visual logos, the episode trailer, or the season trailer, uh, lots of information about the podcast so that I, as an editor of a publication in this case, could easily go and, and publish something without needing further contact uh, with the show, which in cases of reviews where we don't share with the shows that they are being reviewed, that is actually quite helpful. And this is probably my favorite section and one that I rarely see, which is we learn a little bit about the format of the show. I can set expectations for myself as a listener or for one of our writers about the level of involvement they would need to review a show or listen to a show like this. 
And then something else that's super rare, often because shows maybe don't have a line of sight into their episode rundown or the descriptions of their episodes at such an early stage, but being able to see the progression of the season or what I can expect from the season is also really nice. So this is, again, a high-fidelity version of a press kit. Uh, super nice to have, but not necessary. Most of the types of press kits that we receive are, are one page with a really um, descriptive paragraph and some basic links to the show. So I've linked here to a couple of podcast industry, members of the podcast industry press. Um, these are ones that when your show is ready and you are prepared to share it with people, these are the people that I would be pitching. Uh, some of these are fairly niche. For example, you'll see Audio Dramatic here and Will Williams Review tend to focus a little bit more on audio drama. So if you have an audio drama show, make sure you're sending it to them. Um, some of these are more news focused. So if you have a news angle for your podcast or perhaps someone notable that is newsworthy, they are the ones that I pitch. Um, or would be pitching. And then there are sites like the LA Review of Books or the Bellow Collective where we look at podcasting both from a creative and an industry perspective and would, pit and would look for a wide ranging number of pitches. Um, as you'll hear, I really encourage you not to be afraid to be verbal and, and um, effusive about, how, about your podcast. You can't be afraid to pitch it, send the email, make the pitch. Great. So you have your unique idea, you have your brand identity, you know who you think your audience is going to be, so now it's a matter of fact of going out and actually finding them. So as we'll talk about, as we've talked about, it's the blood, sweat, and tears, let's just say it's a sweat. You know, you are going, no one is going to work harder to promote your show than you. You are your number one brand ambassador, except for maybe your friends and family. So let's start there. Who is the community within your reach that you can leverage it seems very simple, but asking your friends and family to share, review, subscribe, gain some momentum in actually getting the word out there. Recommendations are among the top ways that people are finding content. If you think about your own podcast habits, probably the first place you're going to go is a recommendation from someone that you love and trust and has tastes that you um, are aligned with. That's really a, a great place to start. And then widening out that circle, who are you going after? You're talking about local communities. You want to make yourself discoverable, but also go out and find your audience. There's going to be some legwork in, in this. So if you're talking about a physical location in where your listeners are, talk about local businesses. This can be your bookstores and your coffee shops, local theaters, a farmer's market, barbershop. Where are people actually spending their time in physical spaces? And then... Go online because as you, all of us are probably very well aware, it's the internet is basically ask and you shall find. There is any sort of topic, any sort of interest that you're looking for, there is a community for online. I basically guarantee it. I feel like um, at this point, I'm just sounding like the top of a podcast, like asking you to rate, review, subscribe, five stars only. Um, but that's, again, the message that you have to be going out and championing as you're reaching out to people. So for example, you're going out to environments where people are listening to podcasts, but also you don't have to just stick to places where people are already listening to podcasts. For example, The Pitch, which is now a Gimlet podcast, before they started, they actually were a top product on Product Hunt. So they were upvoted in that community. And if you look at the brand pages there, you can see the show team is actually engaging in the commentary, one-to-one -one taking feedback from the people who are engaging with the content, who might not have been podcast listeners, but have discovered something on it in a community where they were passionate about the subject matter and then talking about 
finding people with common interests. So for example, if the premise of your podcast isn't necessarily very hyper-specific to an interest, you can have a particular episode maybe where you have um, the, the right people to reach out to. For example, The Nod, we had um, an episode that featured a, a segment on square breathing. So we put together a list of people who were influential in the social space, uh, speaking about wellness, specifically intersections with women of color, and reached out to a lot of people. And again, that's where it's really handy to have that promo copy ready to go, that pitch language, because you are going to send out a lot more emails, send out a lot more DMs, and you'll get responses back. But that said, you've already engaged people who are talking about the same sort of things that you are, the interests that you guys are covering, the different topical areas that are going to reach, uh, really be most effective for the audience that you're going after. And pitching for cross-promotion. This is, again, we talk about finding people in the podcast space and non the podcast space. Again, going after people who are already listening. Identify who are the, relative, the relevant podcasts similarly in your space. People that you know in your, uh, from networking events such as this, you're already here, that's already a great first step. Um, and you can do the sort of standard cross promo where it's like, I give you ad copy, you give me ad copy, and we'll do a swap that way. But think of something that's more involved. You really want, you know, whether that's being a guest on another person's podcast and you reciprocate in kind, or even talking about dropping full episodes or full segments down different feeds. You introduce it, you have a conversation with this, and even if, if both podcasts are still relatively small in their audience base, potentially you're reaching an entirely new audience that is now introduced to your content, essentially with a recommendation, because you know we are all very precious about our content, and or very particular about our content, I should say, and we're not going to be recommending something that we don't have a relationship with or believe in. And if you have a little bit of money, no, I know that's, uh, we're talking about entry level here, so we'll start. You wanna make it work really hard for you. So think about places where you can be really smart, targeted, and where you can learn. So, so paid social is, a, is your friend, get to know it. It sounds a little scary. We'll talk about some intro steps to getting familiar with it. Um, and also think about audio environments. We are trying to get people to just nudge them on over to find your show, to find your new podcast, your new po uh, product. Um, essentially reaching out to people who are already listening to podcasts, who are maybe listening to audiobooks, which is just a hop and a skip away from over from what we do, or even listening to music. Audio, if you think about it, plays such a huge role in the daily lives of so many consumers. It's just a matter of them make, putting, positioning yourself so you are in the right spot when they're in the audio environment. And I think as you get into paid media, the most important thing that I would say is customize your message based on where you're spending your money. It will make it so much more effective. So that's from thinking about the tone of the environment that you're in. If you have great visual assets, you're on Instagram, you're using hashtags, maybe some emojis, but also think about where people are encountering your ads. So if you have, uh, say, like an audio promo on a, on a podcast platform, that's someone who already knows what a podcast is. So if you say subscribe, if you say listen, they will have an understanding of that. But if you're on social, you're targeting a group who maybe hasn't been exposed to podcasts before, there's a little bit more education that you have to do, making sure it's gonna sound very silly, but saying, you know, make sure you know to listen. Uh, we've encountered times we'll do a social ad and, you know, audio platform, that's our product. Um, and then you have like a really cool social graphic and then you see in the comments, people are like, great, I can't wait to watch. Um, and then you have to do a little like educating, be like, oh no, you can listen on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and that's the sort of thing where you customize your message based on where people are encountering your creative. 
And then what's great about uh, also customizing your message is with paid social being very, very advanced, you can also be very specific to the operating system people are on. If you think about people where they're listening to podcasts, a lot of it's on mobile. Um, so you can target your Twitter ad with a specific message to iOS users, listen on Apple Podcasts, and that link directly and conveniently opens up your Apple Podcasts app. You obviously don't want to serve that to an Android user, but you can do that and get that specific and granular in your social targeting. And test, 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 please. This is a place where podcast platforms, we actually don't get to know that much about our listeners um, based on just the way that where the industry is right now. But social testing in particular is a place where you can see what messaging works. If you are writing your promo copy and you're not quite sure what message to lead with, you can just you know run a very small social campaign, try out the two different copy versions, and that's essentially creating data for yourself that you otherwise would not have had. And that's an incredible learning to, to learn. So that's all good and well, but how do you actually get started? So again, uh, you want to reach people where they're listening to content. So advertising on platforms, yes, the bigger ones will, the bigger platforms might have an uh, advertising budget minimum, which is a little bit, can be intimidating if you're just starting out. But there are smaller platforms. If you think about the wide variety of places that people are going for audio content, you can be targeted uh, with a shorter advertising flight. You can be um, more targeted in the categories you're going after. You might not not be going after the entirety of society and culture, as we know is a very busy category. You might be going after a very small segment, and that's a place where you can be very targeted with your media dollars and make them go further, work harder for you. And then into social. So depending on how long you have been active on social, you are probably well aware that a lot of the big platforms know a lot about us. They know what our likes are, they know who our friends are, they know and uh, to that end, advertisers, now the people in this room, we uh, can actually use that to our advantage when doing social targeting in going after interests. You can go after lookalikes, which is essentially, you are a fan of this thing. I can also find you if you are likely to be interested in my podcast, which is now the product that I'm going out for. And if it seems a little intimidating to get started, there are so many resources online. So we're talking about the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams of the world. They're really gear, uh, providing tools for advertisers. It's uh, in terms of best practices, because those are changing constantly. What are the best sort of creative versions to go out with on each of these respective platforms? But also don't be afraid of like the weird places. And when I talk about the weird place, I mean like a Reddit, you know what I mean? So we're, if you talk about the different interest categories, that's where you can get incredibly specific. So if you're targeting something, you can start off uh, with a giant subreddit, for example, just fashion, or all, all the way down to a much smaller, much more specific, like how this bra fits. And, and I'm telling you, you can reach so many different types of people that way. But again, customize your message because obviously the way that you're speaking to your Instagram audience is not going to be the same way that you're talking to a Reddit audience because I will tell you sometimes they're a little prickly about advertising, but tread lightly. And again, that's where testing and trying out different things um, at a small scale is, is really great because at this point, it's a lot of these social platforms, it's self-service. You can go in, just like link your credit card, set a set uh, budget based on what you have available to you, set a flighting, targeting, um, and move forward that way. So like we talked about, making yourself discoverable for both podcast and non-podcast audiences. Um, we'll take a look at, in a case study, actually how to put this in practice. So I'm, I'm going to pause. I know we're running a little short on time, and I want to make sure that we have time to get to your questions. We do have a case study um, that we can talk about, but maybe we take uh, some questions first. 
I think we're ready for you guys to throw, to throw it at us. We wanted to set the stage here, but if you have um, tough questions, we're ready to hear those. Great. Um, what would you consider a uh, viable strategy for, let's say, a video platform like TikTok, which Bloomberg is launching? Because a lot of what I'm seeing is like, I work in paid social, and I'm having to do a lot of custom block lists because I'm seeing that my advertising dollars for the company I work for, who I will not mention, um, like I've had to customize a lot of that because there, there was a huge ad fraud. Mm -hmm. um, where are you going that is alternative to Twitter and Facebook? We've been experimenting with Instagram and YouTube ads. Uh, and seeing how those perform for us. Still experimental, so I can't offer any real data about that. And I know, I think in this group, we've also talked about overcast ads. Has anyone done those? Yeah, so you can, again, that's another place where you can be very strategic in where you're going, going after, and it's incredibly scalable. So I would say that's a great entry point, and you know that you're reaching people in the right environment, and it's, it's slightly more controlled and, and arguably brand safe. Mm -hmm. I've also been using Pinterest. Just to pe It really has to be specific to your audience, but they provide a lot of tools related to search and really being able to, a lot of options for advertising your content, and they provide a lot of resources as well. So even if you have a really small budget, they oftentimes will assign somebody to you to help you run your campaigns. And so something that Jen was speaking about with budget, I mean, don't be scared to start with $25, you know, $100 if you have that and start running something and testing things out because that's even enough money to start with some of the platforms like Facebook, Pinterest, wh wherever you want to try. Uh, for those of us who are independent podcasters who have one or three or four people teams, how do you balance the work of actually creating the podcast with the perhaps larger work of also trying to put it out there? I would say, again, we talked about how marketing starts while you're actually creating the content. So I think no one, like I mentioned, no one is going to be a stronger brand advocate for your show or is going to know the show more intimately than you. So think about in the, in the ways that you are creating content as you go, whether it's, I mean, we talk about bonus content on social that is being is a kind of different type of content you could release. It could be cutting room floor stuff, depending on the you know the type of and format of your of your podcast and um, collecting things as you go. And I will say, like if you are a small team, you're allowed to like pause for a minute and and actually collect your assets and assess like what you have available to you, um, because like we you know we talked about getting to know best practices and running paid social media. That does take time and effort, but you can also focus it. You know we talked about also, don't make a Twitter if it's going to be dormant. Focus where you want to put your efforts, and that way you don't felt, feel yourself too, sp uh, too spread thin. Yeah, and I, I would add, at the start, at the concept phase, I really build an ideal audience in the back of my head. And so as we are working on developing content, I'm always thinking about that person. I'm thinking about how would I sell this episode to that person? How would I introduce our show to that person? And I think that as we go along, having that sort of mental model really does, again, help build the foundation for how I'm going to, to talk about the show later. And a good piece of advice um, I would give 
a smaller team is to try one or two things at a time because then also you get better data. You know, one of the, at launch, a lot of these podcasts are throwing everything at the wall, and we did that with our most recent podcasts at launch, and we got a lot of great numbers, but we don't really know what worked, honestly, because we had too many things happening at the same time at launch. So if you spend three months just trying Instagram and Twitter, and then you see if that works or not, and then you can still hopefully focus on that stuff, but put them a little bit on the back burner, and then the next three months work on something else. And that'll allow you, within a year, to try a whole lot of different things, but it won't feel as overwhelming. I missed the beginning of your talk, but I was wondering if you could talk about newsletter strategy, like how often you should be emailing your audience about a new show. Should you be emailing them monthly with a roundup of episodes? Every, every single time an episode is out, do you email them? Just like general strategy for emailing a base of listeners. And if you don't have a base of listeners and a ton of emails, like how do you grow that email audience, I guess? So I will say... At WNYC, it used to be that every show we created a MailChimp account or we created a MailChimp uh, listserv, and we've really started to be more strategic about is this a show that needs a newsletter and do we have the resources to support that newsletter. Um, we have some great examples of shows where the newsletters are an integral part to, to the experience, uh, Death, Sex, and Money being a key one uh, every Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, Anna Sale sends out a newsletter. It's in her voice. It connects to the show, but it also has, it rounds up other great content from around the, the atmosphere. So I think the challenge is, do you have the resources? Can you do it consistently? And is there going to be something new and unique in every issue would be my three questions about whether to add a newsletter. And then if you do have a newsletter, making sure that you are constantly inviting people to go find it and that there's something for them to discover in the newsletter so that they have a reason to go. And partnerships. I mean, uh, one of the things for the Circle Around podcast, it's a children pod podcast, um, is we partnered with a the producer, Jess Alpert, partnered with a sticker subscription service uh, for kids, and uh, they did a giveaway and collected a whole bunch of people's emails because people wanted to win the kid toys. And that's a way that we got emails for the parent, what ended up being a parenting newsletter. So, um, you know, partnerships is a good way to go about it, too. Hi, um, I have a question about using social media specifically for audience engagement beyond listening. So say you want your audience to do something else. So I'm thinking of Trump Inc. asking for anonymous tips or After Effect asking for stories from um, people with autism or their families about their experiences in the care system. Um, so do you have any suggestions for messaging specific to those other kinds of asks? I think in terms of your social content, we talk about regularity. In spe specifically, when building your community, you want people to be know that you're dependable in terms of delivering regular types of content. So I would say building out on social a posting cadence actually would be really helpful in knowing that certain types of posts go out at, uh, in certain times. But, but in between then, uh, asking for additional calls to action, additional um, engagement, that is almost like makes it bonus content in addition to what your community and what your subscribers, your followers are already accustomed to expect. One thing that we do is we literally take a calendar and every brand pretty much does this if you see advertising on social and we plot out 
key messaging over time. So whether that, maybe it's as simple as a new episode, maybe it's something related to bonus content, but it is relevant and it is specific to the platform and it is segmented by somebody that knows nothing about the show and people who are already listeners are engaging with the content. And your social platforms will optimize that kind of content too and make it discoverable based on who, who it's meant for. So the biggest thing I would say is I split it out by what is the key message and then create all the messaging under it and just take a blank calendar and plot it out. And keep asking. Um, you know, we have a hotline for people who have tips on the missing artwork. No one's found the Rembrandts yet, but uh, but we ask at the end. We give that number out at the end of every episode. We t- we put it on social. We put it everywhere, um, and that allows it to get out as many times as possible. And people aren't going to necessarily respond to the first ask, but they may respond to the second or third or fourth. Yeah, don't bury your ask. Yeah. Thank you. I think we have time for maybe two more questions. I'm wondering about um, click-through links, like in newsletter and also on different social platforms. I always feel confused, like if I give people Apple the uh, Apple podcast link for the episode, I'm going to lose all the Android people. If I give them like a landing page that has all the options, that's a double click-through, so like I might lose people there. Um, so yeah, I've always just sort of been confused of like which link I should be putting in my post to get the best conversion. I would say in the places you can, we talked about paid social, you can actually customize which link goes where. That's all honestly like a place where we have the option to. There are places you can, and I think you can give people the opportunity to like open up different deep links. I I know like you want to make the barrier to entry as low as possible and you don't want that double click through, Um, but also people, want the options, I would say, like in terms of there are people who listen to the smaller podcast apps and I think it actually only benefits you to say, to impress upon your listenership that you are everywhere. Your podcast is distributed on multiple platforms. And then also if you are engaging um, the various editorial teams on smaller podcast apps, that's arguably leverage for you if you're driving to a smaller platform. And I would just add to, we often link to our landing pages because there is additional content to be found there more than just the episode there's transcripts and there may be bonus content and so I think if that's something that you want to position for your listener your viewer whatever link to the landing page is always a safe bet thank you one more question I used to do social media marketing for books and that was easy because books are beautiful and everyone wants to look at book covers Uh, duh okay but like Podcast is a lot more difficult. What do, visually, how do we win this? I know it's different for every show, but like, do audiograms, like, do you find those working? Oh my God, they're so time consuming. Is it, please tell me it's worth it. Photos, art, like what? I don't know. Tell me something. <laughs> you want to have visuals. You do. I mean, yeah. it is a medium of audio, but you want to have visuals, and that's important, and it depends on what your podcast is, but, um, you know, try, work with illustrators, uh, or illustrate yourself, it's, it's hard to know exactly how to get it out there, but visuals are important. I will add, and again, I recognize this is not a resource that everyone has the ability to do, but we've recently really invested in having episode art, which helps distinguish each episode. And I think that uh, one of our 
findings recently in our paid social was that people are more responsive when we talk about a very specific episode versus listening to the whole show or linking to the, the artwork for the whole show. It really helps them zero in on what they're clicking through too. So if you have the resources and ability to have episode art, I think that helps. And it doesn't all need to be a beautiful piece of artwork, I would say. It's also an Instagram where it's a very visual medium, but also people are looking for kind of behind-the-scenes content. And again, it'll depend on the format of your show, but we find you know, posting a beautiful picture of our cover art might not actually get as many thumb stops or engagements as like a photo of the, the show team in the studio. So it could be a, a shot of you recording. If there was a trip or research involved, like that actually is content that people are willing to um, engage with. And that might be just like an iPhone photo that, you know, put a nice filter on it. So I think we're out of time, but I think on behalf of everyone on this panel, if you have questions, please feel free to reach out. Feel free to grab us while we're here at the conference, um, send us a DM, whatever it is, we're happy to help answer your questions. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. That was Ashley Lusk, Pat Brewer, Nicole Bunsis, and Jennifer Hahn speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management. 